0: Well, many of you remember back in the early 1990s when Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. Anyone ever heard of this? Okay, And so he kind of uh, made popular this concept that that there are certain ways that individuals appreciate being loved and so on and so forth. It's not enough to just say, man, I really love this person, but how do you express that? And trying to understand how best to do that in your situation. And of course, the the five love languages he came up with were words of affirmation, physical touch, gift giving, acts of service, and quality time. And I would tell you, I, I don't endorse everything about the book. Those concepts are not necessarily truly biblical concepts at their core, but they are good things and helpful things to recognize that just because you say you're loving someone doesn't necessarily mean that they feel that, okay? And so the question that really, really drove the book is how can you best love the person that you are trying to love and how can you communicate well with them about that? Well, when we come to 1 Corinthians this morning, remember we've talked in chapter 12 about how we all have different gifts in the body, and last week especially, Bo talked us through chapter 13, which is all about what? Love. Love. Specifically, love is better than all of the spiritual gifts put uh, put together, and we have to love one another and serve one another. That is the, the essential element, the greatest way, he said. And so the question for us now is, what does it look like, For us to apply the idea that we should love one another in the context that we all have different spiritual gifts. How do we actually put that love into action when we're all different and we have different giftedness? So for our theme this morning, we're going to say it this way. Using spiritual speaking gifts in love... Means using them for edifying the church. Now you notice I put speaking in parentheses because our chapter 14 specifically addressed these kinds of speaking gifts. But I think that you'll see as we walk through that the application uh, goes very directly to all of us, no matter what our giftedness is. Using your spiritual gifts in love means using them for edifying the church. And we'll talk about what that means as we get in. But you remember, even back in chapter eight when we were talking about the the Christian liberty and the things sacrificed to idols, remember Paul made this statement, knowledge makes arrogant, but what? Love edifies. Love builds up and cares for each other. And so remember we're in 1 Corinthians, the the theme of this book is really that correction and condemnation, how Paul is, is reprimanding them and teaching them through their immaturity. Starting in chapter 7 through the end of the book, we have Paul answering a variety of questions. So we talked about marriage and we talked about uh, uh, Christian liberty in chapters 8 through 10. Chapter 11, we talked about corporate worship and how women were to be involved and not involved and the Lord's Supper and how they were to do that uh, for the sake of one another and to honor the Lord. And then in chapters 12 to 14, we're in this section talking about spiritual gifts. And we saw that at the beginning of chapter 12, how we are all one in Christ. We're all one in the Spirit, and yet we were all different and have a variety of gifts. Chapter 13, last week, Bo talked us through love being the greatest way, how that is the essential element, the core tenet of Christianity, and how we are to love one another. And now we come to chapter 14, today and in two weeks, we'll finish it up, and we're talking about the proper use of speaking gifts, the proper use of our gifts and what that looks like. Now, A second thing I don't do very often but I want to do today because I think it's important is I want us to jump to another passage first and then come back to 1 Corinthians 14 because we're going to talk about tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. Tongues, what are they? And the only passage, interestingly, the only passage in the Bible that actually gives a narrative description of what this looks like is in Acts chapter 2. So if you can turn back to Acts chapter 2, we're going to really briefly read this And then make a couple observations just to get our head around what's going on before we come to 1 Corinthians 14. All right? Now, Acts chapter 2. Remember, Jesus ascended, left the disciples there to carry on his mission. You will be my witnesses, chapter 1, verse 8. And then we come to chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each of them, each one of them, was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying they are full of sweet wine. So the couple observations we need to notice about tongues, these, this gift that the Holy Spirit gave before we move to 1 Corinthians 14, just to get our heads around it. Okay? First of all, notice in verse 4 that this is a product of the Holy Spirit giving them power. Okay? This is something that comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit filled them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Okay? Therefore, it has to align with everything else we know that the Spirit does throughout the Scripture, including the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, which finishes with what? Self-control. That will come back up when we talk later. Secondly, notice in verses 6, 8, and 11 that it says that they were speaking legitimate, real human languages that people were understanding. Okay? Verse. Uh, 6, they were hearing them speak in their own language. Verse 8, how do we hear them in our own language to which we were born? Verse 11, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. This is not a quote-unquote angelic language. This is not any a string of nonsensical you know, gibberish. This is legitimate human languages that people were speaking at that time. Also notice in verse 3, uh, sorry, not verse 3, verse 7, that they were speaking languages that they did not already know. It says, wait, wait, all these guys speaking are all Galileans. They are untaught people, and yet they are speaking in a variety. And notice it, it lists at least a dozen different dialects that they were speaking in. Number four, notice in verse 11 what they are speaking about. They, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of what? The mighty deeds of God. There was a reason why they had this gift of tongues, and it was to proclaim who God was to those who didn't understand. But also notice in verse 13 that the ones who didn't understand them, what did they mock them for? They said they were just drunk. They're full of wine. The people who understood, verse 12, were in amazement and great perplexity. The ones who didn't understand were mocking Okay? All of those things are going to be important because, as the Expositor's Commentary says, we can't drive a wedge between speaking in tongues in Acts and speaking in tongues in Corinth because they're the same thing. Okay? So turn back to 1 Corinthians 14, and with that idea, let's, let's work through this passage and see what we learn. I will tell you this is one of the most complicated and misunderstood passages in broader Christendom, people that claim to be in Christ that may or may not be. Um, And I think, honestly, that it's actually pretty straightforward if we go in with the right mindset. All right? So let's do this. Let's read 1 Corinthians 14. We're just going to read up through verse 25 today, and we'll finish in a couple weeks. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. "'Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in the tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries.' But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in the tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy, and greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying." But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? If the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? You will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian. The one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts... Seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he doesn't know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person isn't edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature." In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers, but prophecy is for a sign not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad?" But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. All right. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 25. First... Paul is going to note the edifying purpose of speaking gifts. The edifying purpose of speaking gifts. And first, he says to use your gifts with love. Notice 1 Corinthians 14:1, pursue love. Run after, in some cases it's uh, translated in a negative sense, persecute. Chase after someone, like in Acts 26, Verse 11, when Paul says, I was pursuing them, the Christians, even to foreign cities trying to force them to blaspheme, he said, in the same way I was persecuting Christians, you should be that zealous about loving the other people in the church. Matthew Henry says, it's an exhortation to obtain charity or love, to get this excellent disposition of mind upon any terms, whatever pains or prayers it may cost. What is the number one thing Christians must pursue in anything? It is love. We saw that in 1231. I show you a still more excellent way. Paul will say it again in chapter 16, let all that you do be done in love. Galatians 514 tells us the whole law is fulfilled in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus himself in the upper room discourse, John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Christians are about loving God and loving each other. That's what we do. Pursue love, yet. <laughs> Pursue love, yet desire earnestly these spiritual gifts. Matthew Henry again. Gifts are objects of our desire and pursuit in subordination to grace and love. They should be sought first and with the greatest earnestness which is most worth. The idea is we pursue love, and in our pursuing love, we want to put our spiritual gifts to work. So how do we do that? How do we put our gifts to work loving others? Notice he says, pursue these gifts, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, we saw at the, at the end of chapter 12, but especially that you may prophesy. Now the word prophesy, we can go all throughout the scripture, but it always has the idea of someone communicating truth directly from God to the people. We see that in the Old Testament, we see that in the New Testament, Uh, Luke chapter 167, uh, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. Acts 19 verse 6, Paul laid his hands upon the people and the Holy Spirit came on them and they prophesied. We talked about this in Romans uh, back in chapter 13 and back in chapter 12. We see it in Romans chapter 12 as well with the listing of spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4, remember Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4 tell us that these, uh, the early church offices of the apostles and the prophets were the ones who, who really built the foundation of doctrine that we, we hold to today. But Paul says, no matter what, no matter what you are doing with your speaking gifts, it has to be with love, all right? Secondly, what is the purpose of our speaking gifts? It is to edify the church. It's to build up the church. So you see, for the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. The one who speaks in a tongue, we saw this again in Acts chapter 2, how they were using the power of the Spirit to speak in a language that they hadn't studied before. Also notice back in, chapter, in Acts chapter 2 that they spoke it well enough to where the native speakers understood them and were amazed at how they spoke it. It wasn't like they were stumbling through it. Okay? The Holy Spirit gave them power to speak it clearly and well. But he says, if you speak in a tongue, you don't speak to men but to God, for no one understands but in his Spirit he speaks mysteries. So what is he saying here? Well, what he means is if you speak in a tongue, if I stood up right now and I started speaking in perfect, whatever, Mandarin, uh, most of you would have no clue what I was talking about unless anyone in here speaks Mandarin, okay? Also, I don't speak Mandarin, so that would be pretty impressive. That would be the spirit, okay? Um, But it's not. If you speak something that someone doesn't understand, you're not speaking to men. The only person who's going to understand you is who? Who? it's God, because God knows every language, okay? Also, why is it true that when we speak in different languages, people that don't know those languages don't understand? Why is it that way? Why is it that there are different languages that some people speak and some people don't, biblically speaking? The Tower of Babel, Babel, because we sinned and God's Spread us all out. And as my Hebrew professor used to say, you know why Hebrew is hard? Because God made it that way, right? God made languages different. That's the point. And so as an act of judgment ultimately, but now if you speak in a language and no one understands you, don't be surprised at that. No one else is going to understand you except God. But he says in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Now, when we see this word mysteries in the Bible, it always talks about something that God knows and has to reveal to us. So in Ephesians 3, we talk about the mystery of the church, how God had to reveal that new understanding and how the people of God would be be brought together in the church. We see that here. Something that only God can understand if you're speaking in a tongue that no one else understands and God would have to reveal it to someone else, what you were saying. Okay? Verse three, but, so someone speaking in a tongue that no one understands is not helpful because only you and God understand. But verse three, one who prophesies, one who stands up and speaks for God, in the native language, speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. This edification word's gonna come up a lot in this chapter, what does it mean? It's the idea of building up, of, of supporting and helping each other in the church. First Corinthians 3.9, it's translated when he says, you are God's building, you are God's edification, okay? Ephesians 4.12, it tells us that uh, we are to, the pastors and teachers are to equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.15 and 16 says we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, down at the end, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We are to edify, to build up one another in the context of the church so that all of us look more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the idea. So, when the one who prophesies, one who speaks truth from God, in the native language that you understand, it's for edification, it's for building up each other, it's for encouragement uh, or exhortation. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 3 says that Timothy was the one who strengthened and encouraged the Thessalonian church, that's the idea, to strengthen and encourage them. And it's for consolation. This is the word for comforting. Like in John chapter 11, when Mary and Martha were so sad over Lazarus being uh, dead that the Jews came and it says they consoled them. And so when someone stands up in the context of the local church and they speak from God, it is to be for the building up of the church, for the strengthening and encouraging of the church, and for the comforting of the church. That's the point. So in verse 4. He goes on, one who speaks in a tongue edifies, and you could say only himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. The question is, hey, this is a good thing. The one who speaks in a tongue, he edifies himself. That's a bad thing. Why? 1 Corinthians 12, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. What's the point of spiritual gifts? The manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Your spiritual gift is not for you, it's for who? Everyone else. Your spiritual gift is given to you by the Spirit for the building up of the church. So if it says someone speaking in a tongue edifies himself, that's a bad thing. You are not out to edify yourself. You're out to edify the church. Tongues, we've seen here in Acts 2 and now in 1 Corinthians 14, this is speaking the truth of God in another language that you hadn't studied before. What is prophecy? Well, that's speaking the truth of God directly to the people in your native language that we all understand, right? Right? So there's a couple questions here that I think are helpful to point out, and these are, at least one of these is debated, and I don't think it should be, but here we go. The question is, when the guy stood up and he used the spiritual gift of tongues, and he spoke in a different language that he hadn't studied before, did he know what he was saying or not? And I think the the answer has to be yes. One, because Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So we know he could control when to use it and when to not, and we see that later in the chapter. But I also think he has to understand what he's saying, because even in Acts 2 it says they were speaking about what? The mighty deeds of God. They knew what they were proclaiming to the people, right? Unfortunately, listen to this quote. Though he himself would not comprehend the content of that, his feelings and emotions would be enlivened, leading to a general exhilaration. Okay, that sounds like a charismatic liberal person, right? It's not. It's a conservative commentary that I quote a lot. For some reason, when people get around this issue of miraculous gifts and tongues and signs, they just don't think very clearly. And so we have to be careful here. So did the tongue speaker understand what he was saying? I think it has to be yes. Is it good that he could use his gift in private? The answer is no, it's not good because it's for the common good. And so Taylor in his commentary, the notion of incomprehensible tongues as a private prayer language runs counter to Paul's argument as a whole and to the corporate purpose of spiritual gifts. The charismatic idea of, okay, I'm not going to use this, this gibberish out loud, but I'm going to use it for me and I feel close to God when I do it. And we say that that's not a biblical idea. That's running against everything that Paul is saying here about tongues. So he goes on in verse 5. He said, if you pray, uh, if you speak in a tongue that no one understands, you're only edifying yourself. If you are speaking, prophesying so that everyone can understand you, you're edifying the church. Verse 5, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. See, speaking in tongues isn't bad. <laughs> That's the idea. He's saying, no, 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 this is a good thing. This is a spiritual gift that God has given. It needs to be used properly. That's the idea. But even more that you would prophesy. I think there's an echo here of Numbers 11. You remember when Moses was there and he was prophesying, and then uh, other men, Eldad and Medad, great names, were, were prophesying in the camp, and someone sees that happening, and they run to Moses and say, Moses, Moses, other people are prophesying. They can't do that. That's your job, right? And Moses says, I wish that everyone would prophesy, that everyone that would have the, spirits, the Lord's Spirit on them. No, 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 I'm not the only one who gets to have this gift. Other people get this gift. And Paul says, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. I wish that you all had as much spiritual giftedness as possible, as long as you're using it well. But in the context of tongues, I wish even more that you would prophesy. Why? Because it's in the language that everyone understands, right? Greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. Matthew Henry makes a couple comments on this that I think are helpful. Number one, note that what cannot be understood can never edify. If I stand up here and speak a wonderful sermon in a language you don't understand, you get no benefit, right? Can't be edifying if you don't understand it. Number two, he says, the best and most eligible gift which best answers the purposes of love and does the most good. That's the best gift, is the one that uses love for the benefit of others, He says, no gift should be despised, but the best gifts are to be preferred. What are the best gifts? It's whatever does the best for the church, right? And then number three, he says, that makes most for the honor of the minister, which is most for the church's edification, not for the gifts that show his advantage. See, when you use your gifts and it's good for everyone else, that's the most honor, not what makes you look good, right? Right? No matter what your gift is, if it's a speaking gift up in front or if it's a serving gift behind the scenes, if your gift is helping other people in the church be more like Christ, that's honor. If it's helping you look good, that's not. All right? So what's the application here for this first section? Every use of your spiritual gifts, and especially here the speaking gifts, must be motivated by a heart of love for your brethren in Christ and intended for their being built up into Christ-likeness. That's the idea. Every time you use the gifts the Spirit has given you in the context of the church, especially if you have a speaking gift, it's in love and it's for the purpose of edifying the church. One commentary says, following on this demonstration of the importance of love in chapter 13, Paul insists that edification must be the prime consideration Does your gift help other people? That's the important thing. That's the idea, right? The edifying purpose of our speaking gifts. Now, secondly, we're going to see the edifying practice of speaking gifts. And this is the whole rest of the chapter, so we're only going to get to part of it today, all right? But first, the first argument that Paul makes is that for a message to be edifying, for a message to be helpful and building up the church, it has to be understandable, An edifying message is understandable to the hearer, and in verse 6, he comments on the profit of clear teaching. Verse 6, he says, Brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will it profit you? Uh, The answer is it won't, right? It won't profit you if I speak in a tongue that you don't understand, unless I speak to you by way of revelation or of knowledge of prophecy or of teaching. Well, What are these? Well, revelation, we know, is the idea that God specifically gives new revelation, new truth to a person, and they communicate that to the church. Galatians 1.12, Paul says, I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.3, 3, Paul says that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, talking about the, the mystery of the church. So, revelation is how God, Paul and the other apostles and, and the prophets were able to get this understanding of the New Testament and therefore uh, inscriptured it for us. Knowledge, we talked about this in chapters 12 and 13. This is some kind of a revelatory gift where God is giving new truth that hasn't been had before. Prophecy, the same thing. We saw that uh, in chapter 13 and 12 as well. We'll see it again today. Uh, prophecy uh, seems to be clearly... Uh, a role of teaching in the church before the, the New Testament was completed. The prophets, the New Testament prophets were the one in the church who would completely, um, who would, would teach and explain, but not just the Old Testament text that they had, but also new revelation from God. And then he says teaching, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. We see that, that there are some who are teachers, first apostles, second prophets, and third teachers, the instruction in the Scripture. And so we have these different things, and, and I don't think that we can really be dogmatic about the differences between these four, four methods of teaching here, but the reality is that Paul says, if I come in tongues speaking a different language, there's no profit to you. But if I come bringing the truth of God to you in a language you understand, it's of benefit. And then he goes on, to, to make that point, he makes several illustrations, so we're going to call that the waste of unclear noise, okay? Okay. He says, look, you get this. You already know this. Imagine someone's playing a flute or playing a harp, and that's, you know, a flute's probably a wood flute, and the harp is one of the little lyre kind of things, but either way, he's representing wind instruments and string instruments, okay? If you play a musical instrument, and I love this, in producing that sound or in giving your instrument its voice, it doesn't produce a distinction. That is, you play the same note, over and over and over and over and over and over again with no real rhythm and with no change in notes, how is anyone going to know what your music is? The answer is they won't. All of us have had children or grandchildren at some point sit down at the piano when they were two years old and go, right? No music happened, just violence to an instrument, right? If you play a flute or a harp without a distinction in tones, how will it be known what is played? Or verse 8, What if a a military trumpet sounds? And and again, it's not a distinct sound, but it's an indistinct sound. It's something that doesn't make sense. Uh, You guys remember the sound of music, right? And at the beginning, the Captain Von Trapp came out with his whistle. And how did the children know when to come? Because there was a distinct sound for every one of them, right? And then I love it when she's about to get her sound and it sounds awful, right? That's kind of the point here. What if it was something awful that didn't make sense at all? You wouldn't know to come. And here he says, you wouldn't even know to make yourself ready for battle. This actually references back to Numbers chapter 10, when Moses instructs the people, when you go to war against the adversary who attacks you, you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. You have to communicate by these trumpet sounds so that you will know what to do. And Ezekiel 33, God has a condemnation against the people and he says, the one who hears the sound of the trumpet and doesn't take warning, a sword comes and takes him away and his blood will be on his own head. You see, when a a trumpet sound goes out and you don't respond to the warning, that's on your own head. But here Paul says, what if the trumpet sound goes out and you don't know what it means because it's so unclear, so, uh, you know, undistinct? And he's like, that's what tongues is like. When you stand up in front of everyone, speaking in a tongue that no one understands, you're not being helpful at all. You're just confusing everyone. Or verse 9, he he talks about just personal conversation. So you, unless you utter by your tongue speech that's clear, how will it be known what is spoken? You'll be speaking into the air. You, You are wasting your breath to say things that don't make sense and are unclear. All right, moving on. He talks about the frustration of language barriers. This is important. Verse 10, by the way, verse 10 decimates any kind of charismatic understanding of ecstatic languages. And it's just one verse. It's right here. There are perhaps a great many kinds or families of languages in the world and no kind is without meaning. None of them is without a voice, okay, is without a sound. They all mean something. Every single language has a meaning to it, and if it doesn't, that necessarily means it's not a language because it's just noise, right? So verse 11, if then I don't know the meaning of the language, I I love it. If I don't know the power of the language or the punch of it, then I'll be the one, to the one who speaks a barbarian, the one who speaks would be a barbarian to me. We've all had this experience, right? Uh, you get in a conversation or you, you, you have an interaction with someone and you quickly find out that you don't speak the same language. And very quickly it turns into what? An awkward stare, right? You have nothing to say. You say things they don't understand you, they say things that you don't understand them. And okay, we have nowhere to go from here, right? He says the same things. You'll be a barbarian to them, they'll be a barbarian to you. You won't understand each other. So what's the application here? (laughs) This is interesting. Recognize that using your spiritual gifts improperly in the wrong context, in the wrong way, is at best a waste of time, you're speaking into the air, or at worst generating frustration and confusion between you because you're a barbarian to each other, you're talking past each other and you have no understanding. We have to use our spiritual gifts well in love and for the building up of each other. So here's the application in verse 12. He tells them, so you, since you're so zealous for spiritual gifts, literally he says, um, they're all uh, nouns and adjectives put together. You are a spiritual gift zealot, okay? You are spiritual gifts zealots. You are passionate about one thing. Your church is good at one thing. You know what it is? Having spiritual gifts. That's your thing. Since you are this way, if you are so passionate about spiritual gifts, then do it right, seek to abound for the edification of the church seek to abound is to to overflow or have an excess you need to open a surplus store of edification right you need to edify everyone until they're tired of being edified you need to overflow with building up each other in the body of christ if you are so passionate about using your spiritual gifts do it correctly to where you are loving and serving each other so what's the application for us there I think this is good for us. I I think it's good for us to be reminded that we are not perfect in our spiritual giftedness today. We need to grow. We talked last time about how maybe we need to grow in different kinds of spiritual giftedness. Maybe we need to try to use our gifts in different areas in the church so that we can learn, oh, I didn't know I had giftedness in that area. I can do that now. You grow in that. Or maybe the giftedness that you do know you have Are you choosing to grow in that and looking for ways to grow in that? Are you you reading good Christian books about the kinds of service you want to do? Are you listening to sermons or good podcasts or things like that so you can learn more about what the scripture says about how you can serve in the church? Or, this is a good one, are you asking mature people in the church to give you feedback and training and disciple you and shepherd you in growing your giftedness? I love when Paul writes to Timothy and he says, your progress in teaching should be evident to everyone. Everyone should look at your teaching and say, man, he's way better than he was last year. That's the point. In the same way, all of us, no matter what our giftedness is, should work to be growing in our uh, way of edifying the church by using our spiritual giftedness. So, how are you doing that? Make sure that we're working at that. Number four here the edifying message has to be understandable. Paul is going to really wrap up the, the necessity of understanding the message. And he's really got three points he's making here. We'll walk through them quickly. And again, there's a couple verses in here that that taken wrongly leads you down a really bad path, but I actually think that they make sense here, okay? Verse 13, first, he's going to talk about how tongues must be understood. If they're not understood, they're worthless, okay? Verse 13, therefore let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Now, it might sound like he's asking uh, if you're going to stand up and speak in a, in a different language, then you also need to pray and ask God to give you the gift of interpretation so that you can interpret it. I don't think that's what he means because we already talked about when you were saved, you were given the spiritual giftedness by God that you have. I think what he means is when you stand up to speak in a tongue, he's specifically talking about praying in public, pray, but pray such that or with the intention that you will interpret Don't stand up and pray in a different language with no intention of interpreting it and explaining it to all the people that didn't understand the first language, okay? You can't do one without the other. And so, verse 14, he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, again, some people have taken this to say, well... He's talking about how when you use the spiritual gift of tongues or languages, really, you're kind of in this trance, right? Your your spirit is working, but your mind is kind of disengaged. And he says that's a bad thing, but that's how it works. And frankly, I think if you start splitting the Constitution into things that are using the spiritual gifts and things that aren't, I think you're going to get in big trouble someday, okay? I think what he says is pretty clear here. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. That is, I'm using my spiritual gift to pray, but my mind is unfruitful. Mind is actually better translated understanding, okay? We saw it back in 1 Corinthians 1, where it talks about how we should all be of the same mind, the same understanding. And in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. Do we have the literal mind of Christ? No. We have the understanding that Christ gives us. We can think like him because we know his word. So what is he saying here? My mind is unfruitful doesn't mean that his brain is checked out while he's speaking in tongues. He means that the understanding that God has given him, the revelation that the Spirit has given him, is not productive, because he's speaking in a tongue and praying in a tongue that no one understands. He says, but if I pray such that I interpret, the understanding God gives me is now fruitful for you. It's productive for the church, because I'm actually saying things that you understand. So verse 15, what is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit and will pray with the mind also time I pray in a different tongue with my spiritual gift, I will make sure that I pray also with understanding for me and for you that we all are on the same page. Pray, I will sing with the spirit and sing with the mind also. I will never do this in such a way to where no one else in the church is understanding the, the language that I'm speaking. Okay, verse 16 and 17, he talks about tongues not being edified if you don't understand them. <laughs> I love this. This is actually... Uh, sometimes you read in the Bible and you think, man, it's very different from our culture and we don't understand how, what that means or what it looks like. And sometimes you read verses and you're like, oh, I, I've been there, right? So verse 16, you bless in the spirit only. How will the one who is ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks since he doesn't know what you're saying? So I've had an experience. I've been to Mexico on missions trips and the pastor stands up and he preaches and he prays. And, and then at some point, he's done praying, and I didn't know why, because I had no clue what he was saying, right? And so he says, if you stand up and you start praying and blessing using the spiritual gift of tongues only, the one who doesn't have the gift of interpretation to understand you, they're not going to know when to say amen when you're done praying. Why? They didn't understand what you were saying the whole time. And, you know, saying amen, we always just think it's kind of a sign-off, right, you know? cordially yours, right? That's kind of what we say. But no, amen means something, right? Amen means I agree with what was just prayed. And so Paul says, one, on a kind of a silly level, he's not even going to know when you're done praying because he doesn't understand. But two, he can't affirm what you just said. He can't agree and say, yes, praise the Lord. I agree with that prayer. Amen to that. He can't say that because he didn't understand you. Or, verse 17, you're giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not edified. It's not that you messed up the prayer. The prayer was probably fine. It was just in a language that he didn't understand, and therefore he's not edified or built up at all. So, if tongues have to be understood, and if they're not understood, they're not edifying to the church, then the third thing he says here in verse 18 and 19 is understandable teaching is necessarily better. Okay? Understandable teaching is necessarily better than using that gift with no understanding. So verse 18, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. (laughs) It would have been easy for them to say, you know what? Paul's just jealous. We have this super cool gift. We can stand up and and I can speak in these languages and he can speak in these languages and we can do that all day long. And Paul's just jealous because he doesn't have as good of a gift as we do. And Paul says, I don't think you understand. I think, I, I'm, I'm reading between the, the lines a little bit here, but when he translated it for himself, he says tongues plural. I think that Paul had a massive amount of spiritual gifting in the, the idea of using tongues, of using languages. We know he already spoke a couple of languages naturally, right? And I think that this indicates that he spoke more different kinds of languages through the Spirit than anyone in the Corinthian church, I think is the idea. He says, I'm thankful that I can say this, I can do this better than any of you, and I'm telling you that I would rather speak five clear words. I would rather come into the church and speak five really clear, understandable, biblical truths with my understanding communicating to you what God has taught me than 10,000 or, or an innumerable amount of words in a tongue that you don't understand. Understanding has to happen for us to be edified and built up in Christ-likeness. The application here is we need to recognize that a very, very small amount of clear biblical teaching is better than an innumerable amount of entertainment. Why, would, why were they tempted to use tongues in a context where no one would understand them? It's interesting, right? I mean, you guys remember when, uh, when Pastor Brooks came for the Mission Sunday and he started speaking in the Yimby Yimby in the middle, of, and we were all like, oh, that sounded cool, Right? It's fascinating, it's interesting, it's entertaining, but it's not edifying if you don't understand it, right? So, an edifying message has to be understandable to the hearer, that is the clear point. If we're gonna use our speaking gifts, they have to be edifying, and the way to have them be edifying is to be understandable to the hearer. Now, one more argument he makes here today is an edifying message is appropriate to the context. If we're going to use our speaking gifts to be edifying, we need to use them in the right context and in the right way. So in verse 20, he says that correctly using our gifts requires mature thinking. Verse 20, he says, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Do not be children in your thinking, your wisdom. Paul's already gotten them in trouble for this a lot in 1 Corinthians, right? He keeps talking to them like they're children. 1 Corinthians 3.1, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual men, but as to infants in Christ. You're not grown up and mature enough yet. Remember last week in chapter 13 where he kept talking about how when I was a child, I used to speak and think and reason like a child, but now I'm a man, I'm mature, I don't think that way anymore. Matthew Henry says, Children... Are apt to be struck with novelty and strange appearances. They are taken with an outward show. Do not be like them and prefer noise and show to worth and substance. You see, children are distracted by the flashing lights and, and everything moving quickly and it's sounding funny. Don't be children, don't be spiritual infants and children. Be mature and recognize that all that's just show. Look for the substance and the worth. Look for the truth underneath. He says, now, there is one way I want you to be children. I want you to be children when it comes to to evil and wickedness. When it comes to you practicing sin, I want you to never grow up, all right? Go to Neverland with your evil. But when you're thinking, in your thinking, be mature. So just a quick question. How can we make sure that we are thinking maturely, thinking biblically? Well, the answer is Psalm 119.99. I have more insight than all of my teachers. Why? For your testimonies are my meditation. Do you want to be a wise, careful, biblical thinker, even at a young age, by the way? Psalm 119 talks about that a lot. Think about the Bible. Meditate on God's truth. There is one person who has perfect wisdom. It's God. He has given you his wisdom here. You can know it. You can understand it. Being a good, careful, mature, biblical thinker about spiritual gifts and frankly about everything comes from studying and knowing your Bible. So, correctly using gifts requires mature thinking Secondly, he says, correctly using our gifts requires understanding their purpose. We need to understand what the purpose is for our specific giftedness before we start using it haphazardly. Now, this is a little bit of an interesting couple verses. In verse 21 and 22, he's going to quote from and then apply a prophecy from Isaiah 28. All right, He says, in the law, it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me. It's uh, similar to another statement in Deuteronomy 28:49 and 50, where God says, "The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, a nation whose language you shall not understand." Okay. In verse 22, notice that He says, "Tongues then, so then, tongues are for a sign—that is, a, a miraculous sign, a distinguishing mark, a clearly visible sign—not to those who believe, but to unbelievers." He says, you see, you're misunderstanding the point of the gift of tongues. The point of the gift of tongues is not for believers. The point of the gift of tongues is assigned to unbelievers, but prophecy, speaking God's truth in your own language, is for believers. So, the question is, what does he mean here? I think he means two specific things. One, you see this prophecy from Isaiah, verse 28, chapter 28. God judged his people... And how would they know that they were being judged? When there were people in charge of them that did what? That spoke different languages than them, right? When you are being conquered by foreign nations, you will know that God is judging you. And so here, when tongues come to the church and and these these Galileans are able to speak in all these different languages, any good Jewish student of the Old Testament should say, that doesn't sound like a good thing. And it wasn't because if you were an unbelieving Jew, God was saying clearly that he is establishing the church because the Old Testament nation of Israel had failed in their witness to the world, right? This was an act of God's judgment on the unbelieving Jews and on the religious establishment saying you messed up and now I have these Galileans who are speaking in foreign languages so that they can move my kingdom forward, right? But interestingly, there's a positive to this too. Because, he says, the sign is for unbelievers. Well, if it's Jewish unbelievers, that's a sign of judgment. Because they're hearing a different language that they don't understand. And saying, whoa, 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 whoa. you're giving away the things of God to everyone else. But what if you're an unbeliever who's an unbelieving Gentile? Who speaks one of those languages they're speaking? This is a sign for the unbelievers in a positive way. Because Acts 2 says they stood up and they proclaimed the mighty deeds of God. The sign for unbelievers is that Jewish men could stand up and speak in Gentile languages and share the gospel with them. That's amazing. Which is another reason, by the way, why the charismatic idea of of tongues and languages doesn't make sense because one of the points of speaking in tongues is to share the gospel with people. Interestingly, actually in the early 1900s when the charismatic movement really started to get steam again after 1901, uh, they tried to do this. They sent missionaries to all these different countries around the globe, thinking they have this gift of tongues, and they get there, (laughs) and uh, no one understood them. And so they all came home with their tail between their legs. You can actually read about that. It's pretty interesting. But the idea is tongues is always a sign of judgment against God's people, Israel, and a sign of God sharing the gospel with the nations. The tongues are assigned not for believers, but from believers. Now you can see why Paul is so, so frustrated with the Corinthian church. Tongues isn't supposed to be used in, in corporate worship when you all speak the same language. You don't need that right now. Use that for your evangelism to bring new people into the church, and then you speak prophecy and truth to them. So verse 23 through 25, the last section he has here. If our message is going to be edifying, it needs to be appropriate to the context. And correctly using our gifts will necessarily result in God's glory. Verse 23. Therefore, he said, that, that being said, if the sign is really of tongues is really for unbelievers, what are we saying about that? Verse 23. If the whole church assembles together and you all speak in tongues various different languages and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, that is, a Christian who doesn't have the gift of interpretation to understand these languages... Or an unbeliever, who obviously doesn't have the gift of interpretation because they don't have any spiritual gifts, if they walk in and you're all speaking over each other in all these different languages that is not the native language of the church, what are they going to think about you? Well, in 1 Corinthians 14, they're going to think you are crazy. You are out of your mind. And actually, that's the same wording Paul used, uh, Festus used when Paul was sharing his testimony and he was like, hey, buddy, I think you are crazy. And Paul said, no, I'm not crazy. I just have really important things to say. In First Corinthians 14, if somebody sees that, they're going to think you're crazy. In Acts chapter 2, if they saw that, they're going to think you're drunk. This isn't helpful. It isn't helpful for someone to walk into a church service and you all to be using your gifts in a way that's not helpful, and they all think you're crazy. Matthew Henry, the Christian religion is a sober and reasonable thing in and of itself. It should not, by the ministers of it, be made to look wild and senseless. Uh, My brother used to say, uh, Christianity is a thinking man's religion. It requires the use of your mind. Understanding who God is and living in a way that's pleasing to him requires the use of your mind. You can't be wild and crazy about it. So, application for you and me, don't try to use your spiritual gifts in a way that's not helpful. They were trying to use their spiritual giftedness, but they were doing it in a context and in such a way that it was causing more confusion, more harm than good. But what if we use them well? What if we use our spiritual gifts correctly? What if we really use them in the right way and in the right context? I love verses 24 and and 25. We're gonna see people repent. (laughs) If all prophesy, if all were speaking truth from God's word in a way that everyone could understand, an unbeliever, an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He will recognize that he's a sinner. John 16, 8 says, The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. When you stand up and proclaim the truth of God's word to people, the Holy Spirit works through that and reminds people that they are sinners. Secondly, it says that he is called to account by all. He he will know that he is accountable. He will know that he must endure the just punishment for his sins. Verse 25 says, The secrets of his heart will be disclosed. Well, this isn't at the end, at the judgment, when God exposes all of our hearts. This is him disclosing his own heart. Why? Because he's under such conviction that he starts confessing his sins to God and to the people there. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and brought forth and made evident such that not only do we see him repent, we see him have faith and believe. He will fall on his face and worship God declaring that God is certainly among you. You know, historically, the The idea of faith has three elements. Knowledge, which he has here because he heard the prophecy. We see belief because he says God is certainly among you. And we see trust because he falls on his face and worships God because that's the only thing he knows to do in response to the weight of his sin. You see what happens? Matthew 5, 16 it says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know what happens when you use your spiritual gifts well? When you use the right one in the right context with the right attitude? God uses it. God uses it to save people, to bring them to repentance. God uses it for his own glory. The application for you and me is really straightforward. Trust, trust God that if you faithfully work out your spiritual giftedness in the context of the church. God will use that to accomplish spiritual good in the lives of the church, the current church, and the future members of the church that aren't saved yet. And all of it will be that those people worship God, you worship God, and God receives all the glory. You see, when we stand up and we speak in all these random languages that no one understands, we use our spiritual gifts in ways that are improper. At best, we're wasting our time. And at worst, we're causing confusion and frustration for everyone. But when we stand up and we use our gifts for the glory of God and for the good of the church, it happens. It has success. God is glorified, and we are edified. Next week, remember, we have the conference but in two weeks, we'll come back to this passage, and we'll finish up talking about an edifying message is orderly in its presentation. There's a reason why we need to have structure in the context of the church and how things are presented, because that's a way we can build one another up, all right? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your grace and love. Thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that you would use this to convict our hearts, that, that maybe we're seeking to use our spiritual gifts for our own benefit, and not for the benefit of you and your church. And I pray that we would just be reminded that we need to grow in our our giftedness, that whatever we have, a speaking gift or a serving gift or or whatever we have, that we would use it uh, to glorify you and to build up one another, to love one another. We thank you for the time this morning and pray all this in your name. Amen.